about. He'll talk about it in, in chapter 19 more specifically. So let's look at what, what was being said by Moses in Deuteronomy 24 uh, in these verses 1 to, 1 to 4. And it says this, When a man takes a wife and marries her, I want you to remember that marriage is something that's been around since the beginning of time. God promotes marriage. God's about marriage. And it's still that way today. When a man takes a wife and marries her, and it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes because he found some indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in, the hand, in her hand and sends her out of his house. The real issue here is people want to know, well, what does indecency mean? Okay, he finds an indecency in her. What does that mean? What, what, what can you divorce her for? And that's the problem with uh, people that follow God. We're always asking, what can, I, what can I get out of this marriage with? What can I divorce this person for? What rights do I have? Instead of saying, what can I do no matter what to stay in this marriage and to make it work? All right. So anyway, verse 2, and she leaves his house and goes and becomes another man's wife, so she gets remarried. And if the latter husband turns against her, so her second husband turns against her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand, sends her out of his house, or if the latter husband dies who took her to be his wife, then the former husband who sent her away is not allowed to take her again to be his wife, since she has been defiled. Uh, that means to uh, uh, go against the purity of someone. For that is an abomination before Yahweh, and you shall not bring sin into the land which Yahweh your God gives you uh, as an inheritance. So when a man takes a wife, he shall not go out uh, to the army and, and uh, be charged with other work. He's supposed to get to know his wife. And uh, that get to know you time is, is crucial uh, for the health of the marriage. So now we know what Moses said. And that's what Jesus says in verse 31. He's quoting that, that text. Whoever sends his wife away, let him give her a certificate of divorce. Now, Jesus said, you've heard that that was said. Now, I want to tell you a little bit more about what's going on there. So Moses, Jesus said, because of the people who would not stop sending their wives away, and they did it without having any legal precedent or any paperwork, just get out of my house. I don't like you anymore. I don't want you to ever come back. Just get out. And so Moses, because of the people not stopping this, uh, sending their wives away in an unregulated way, then regulated divorce and put some legal stipulations on it. And those legal stipulations are, you write her a document that is now legal and uh, send her away. So this tells the next person, I've released her and sent her away. It does not mean that she's really free to go out and get remarried. That's not what this is about. It's about the fact that this is what they're doing. And as, as what they're doing, it, it's a problem. So we have no way to keep a, a track of these things. Um, today in our world, we talk about no-fault divorce. Uh, we talk about courts that are crammed full of divorces, and they don't have enough time to work on all these divorces. And it, it just overtakes the whole uh, schedule of a court. And so one of the things they've done, moving towards a licenseless uh, marriage is that when I first started in ministry here, uh, I signed up, I think it was with uh, Judge Walt Kiever down there, and I had a certificate on my wall that said I could do marriages. Now they don't care who does a marriage. Anybody can do a marriage. 
And it doesn't matter whether they are concerned about that couple or not concerned about them. Anybody can do a marriage. And then when I get the license that I sign, I sign it. And I had couples come in and say, well, we're going to get our picture taken signing the marriage license. I said, there's nowhere for you to sign. You don't have to sign anymore. And that's trying to make a move to relieve the tension on the courts. You didn't sign a marriage license. The pastor signed, said he did it. He wrote down two names of people that were there. And I can pick anybody who was there. It doesn't have to be the best man or best woman. I usually do, but uh, I write that down. The couple never signs it. And we're headed to the place where uh, I won't even have a license to sign. Uh, they'll just do away with it. Because marriage is cheap in our society. Well, it was cheap in Moses' society. People haven't changed. So uh, he says a man could not just divorce his wife. He had to make a legal act out of it, and then they could be held liable for their actions. In particular, if a man divorces his wife and she remarries another, according to the Deuteronomy passage, it is before the Lord an abomination for the first husband to ever take her back again. Even if the, her second husband dies, she can't take him back again. Now, God put that in the law, and now there's going to be some, uh, some dealing of God with that person if they violate it. I think that Jesus was saying that Moses didn't just say no divorce because the people's hearts were so hardened against God and against what he wanted and against obeying God. It wouldn't stop them any more than it has stopped people today from doing it when Jesus says in Matthew 19, my view on divorce and remarriage is no divorce. That's Jesus's view. That's why the people attacked him and said, now wait a minute, we understand you're saying no divorce, but if that's the case, why did Moses write this law? And Jesus said, because you as sinners are so hardened in your hearts, you refuse to do what's right before, the, before God. That's the answer. Well, just like adultery is present, even if a man uh, does nothing physically to act on it, we learned that last week, when he lusts for a woman, there is more wrong with divorce than the way people in Israel understood it to be. Uh, it was just easy stuff to do. It's easy today. Um, it, I just can't believe that we have uh, various lawyers in the country that are advertising how cheap they'll do your divorce for you for. Uh, there were two rabbinical schools of thought in Jesus' day about why a man could send a woman away in divorce. So what it said in Deuteronomy was, if he finds any indecency in her, then he can send her away. Well, what does that mean? What is indecency? You look the word up in the Hebrew text, and it sort of means indecency. Okay, so what is that? Well, the rabbis argued about that. The rabbis, the teachers of the law, and you remember that Gamaliel had Paul as one of his students. So a rabbi would go out and people would come to him and say, I want to learn from you because I, I like your scholarship. I like your understanding of the law. So he trains these people. Well, in Jesus' day, there were two different rabbis. One was, was by the name of Rabbi Hillel. And Rabbi Hillel had a certain view on what indecency meant. The other man was a rabbi whose name was Shammai. All right, so we have two rabbis, and they're teaching two different things about what Moses taught, this issue of what's the indecent thing that, she, that the man finds. And so what happens is Hillel comes along and says, for any reason at all, if he doesn't like her, if she's indecent in any way, then he can divorce her. And the ancients said something that would be akin to what we would say today is, even if she burns the toast in the morning, he has a right to divorce her and get rid of her. Uh, because that would be indecent for him. Uh, 
Hillel pushed that, and that's what he taught all of his students. Shammai came along and said, no, no, it can't be for just burning the toast in the morning or burning your pancakes today or something like that. Uh, it has to be something really big. But he really didn't say what was really big. But people said, well, he must mean if somebody commits adultery. All right, and so uh, I've had people call me and they're getting a divorce and they say, uh, we just need some counseling. I'm thinking, oh, okay, let's, let's work this out. And then I find out, we don't wanna work this out. We just wanna figure out the best way to do it. And I said, I'm sorry, I don't help people get divorced. Uh, there's all kinds of people out there that will help you get through your divorce. If you wanna come here and save your marriage, that's what I'm about. I'm not gonna counsel you through your divorce. You shouldn't be doing it in the first place. They hang up and I never hear from them again. But if you're willing to work on your marriage and willing to get it right and do what God says, I'll do anything for you in that situation. But this is Hillel, and this is Shammai, and this is the crowd Jesus is talking to. See, marriage, according to the Bible, should be a life of sexual exclusivity in a monogamous, and I need to say heterosexual, relationship between a man and a woman. And I mean biological man, biological woman. And also, it should have emotional exclusivity in it as well. One man with one woman for wife, one woman with one man for life, and they are emotionally dedicated to each other and physically dedicated to each other. Jesus is not at all promoting divorce. Most of the people I know that go through it, they don't promote it either. Some do. I used to say, I used to say nobody gets married thinking they're going to get a divorce. I, and I can't say that anymore because I've run into too many people that are saying, Hey, you know, we're getting married, but if it doesn't work out, you can always get divorced. <laughs> what, what a wrong attitude to go into marriage with, all right? Jesus isn't, isn't promoting that. Divorce is still a sin by, all, by itself, regardless of what else goes along with it. Malachi 2.16, God wrote this. Jesus wrote this through the prophet Malachi. It says, I, God speaking, for I hate divorce, says Yahweh, the God of Israel. And, and here's what he thinks of divorce. And him who covers his garments with wrong, says Yahweh of hosts. So take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treachery. God is saying that divorce is also treachery against somebody who trusted you. Now, considering the overall condition of the family health today, which I'm not sure you can say there's much healthy about it, uh, in our Christian circles, yes, we have some of that, uh, but not everywhere. Uh, I, I want to say that premarriage counseling is critical, and not just counseling that tells, talks about your wedding and what we're going to do on your wedding. Um, I've had couples come in for premarriage counseling. I want a week out of you, and we're going to go through your life. We're going to see what kind of baggage you're carrying, each of you, because when you're getting married, you have rose-colored glasses, and you don't see those things. They're just perfect, and everything's going to be great, and then you get married and find out, uh, it's not so perfect. It's not so great. Somebody should have helped you deal with those issues, the things you came out of as a, as a child in your home and what you put to those things so you don't drag them into your marriage so you don't end up like this at the heart level. You want to be like this. And so I think one of the answers is you get good pre-marriage counseling. I have a couple that wanted to get married in May by their pastor, and he insisted I do the pre-marriage counseling. They knew what we do here, and he called me, and he said, we want to go deep in our premarriage counseling. We think we need it. You know why he said that? Because his folks had been through it. And so they have me scheduled later this year, and they're, they're going to be married for a few months, which is okay. I like that. And uh, we're going to go through their premarriage counseling again for a week. And I'm going to help them get rid of that baggage, and we're going to take it to Jesus, and they're going to get healing in their hearts. And I think that's one of the best ways to stay out of divorce. I also think 
that parents need to emulate what a good relationship is so people can see it, so people can say, hey, I want to be married. Right now we have kids who see people getting married and they're scared to death because of all the divorce. And they don't want to go through a divorce because they've seen what it does to their hearts when their parents went through it. And they don't want to go through that. So they just live together, which isn't, isn't uh, biblical either. There's a better way to do things. So instead of writing certificates of divorce or sending our spouses away, we should consider that in every case where divorce occurs, Jesus says, except where immorality has already occurred, divorce leads to committing adultery. Now, Jesus just got through talking about the sin of adultery. We did that last week, Matthew 5, 27 to 30. And we know he's kind of against that too, right? It is a sin, and it must be dealt with with all seriousness. As hard as pornography is to break in a person's life, and I'm just using that as an example, in their heart, it can be done with Jesus' help. Whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery, Jesus said. Instead of us looking for ways to end marriage, we need to diligently prepare for marriage so we don't get into a marriage that we shouldn't be in. If you come in pre-marriage counseling, your spouse refuses to work on their issues, refuses to do the right thing, you're probably marrying the wrong person. And you ought to think about that before you're married. So I don't think we're preparing the way we should uh, before uh, the divorce then becomes the next thing. And parents can do a better job in being married to each other and exemplifying to their kids what a real marriage is about. We need more of that. I want you to know that God forgives every sin. You know that. Some have been divorced. God knows that. He's forgiven you. But they would all tell you it's not the way to go. It's not the best. And I think you need to be more careful before you get married. I know that there are things beyond our control that happen in marriages as well. But far too many don't take marriage seriously as they should and at least what their vows were. I wanted to quote Dr. Craig Keener. Because here he said, speaking about his wife, he said, any gift of love I offer this daughter of God is too small a gift for the treasure of her sharing her life with me. And I think that's a good way to, to look at it. Uh, this, this girl's giving you her life. She's going to spend it with you. All right, so we need to make sure we don't date unbelievers. We need to make sure we get good pre-marriage help. We need to make sure we are, our parents are being good examples of that. That will help us a bunch. Now we want to move on to the next issue, verses 33 to 37. And I wanted to do this because in most marriages now, you make vows. Although I have been to some where they're not making vows anymore about their faithfulness. I think marriage should be a place where that happens. He says, again, you have heard that the ancients were told, you shall not make false vows, but shall fulfill your vows to Yahweh. But I say to you, make no oath at all. And we said literally that's translated, do not swear completely. And I'll talk about that, what that means. Either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is the footstool of his feet, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you make an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black, but let your statement be yes, if it is yes, no, if it is no, Anything beyond that is of the evil one, referring to Satan. So we're going to learn in this passage, the yes of a person of integrity means yes, and their no means no. What Jesus is basically saying is, why are you having to swear? Why are you having to make an oath? 
Why can't you be the kind of person that if you say yes, everybody knows it's, it's going to be yes. If you say no, everybody knows it's going to be no. And, and you'll die if you have to to keep your word with that attitude. So uh, Jesus takes up this issue out of people making oaths to others and to God. And I want to read some of those places uh, that he says that. Leviticus 19, uh, 12. Leviticus 19, 12 says, You shall not swear falsely by my name, so as to profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. Now, so what God is saying, he says, don't say, uh, I swear by the name of, of Yahweh. I swear by the name of Jesus. Uh, he says, don't, don't make an oath like that. You know why? Because you're not God. Because you don't know what's going to happen in the future, and you don't know uh, what, what it's going to cost you. You don't put God's name on something that's empty. So if a Christian couple gets married and they, they do their vows in the name of Jesus Christ, uh, they're saying to Jesus, I am promising this until I'm dead or my spouse is dead. In Numbers 30, verse 2, it says, If a man makes a vow to Yahweh or takes an oath to bind himself with a binding obligation, he shall not violate his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. So God says if you're going to tell somebody that you're going to do something, then that's what you're supposed to do. Uh, Deuteronomy 23 and 21 is another one. Deuteronomy 23, 21 to 23. I don't know if I said that right. It's in your bulletin, 23, 21 to 23. It says this, when you make a vow to Yahweh your God, so now you're vowing to God, you shall not delay to pay it, for it would be a sin in you, and the, the Lord, or Yahweh your God, will surely require it of you. However, if you refrain from vowing, it would not be sin to you. You shall be careful to perform what goes out of your mouth, just as you voluntarily vowed to Yahweh your God what you promised. God didn't make you vow. God didn't make you say this. And if you're going to do that, then you need to know you better do it or God's going to hold you responsible for that. All right, so uh, going to, back to the uh, last section, uh, we learned that uh, the, the place we vow, I'm talking about the last section of today, often is in a marriage. Jesus takes this issue up now about keeping your word. He tells us that there is something better than making a vow. Though they are not, uh, they are not. They, I'm sorry. Though they are allowed to be made by us, God is saying you can't vow. He said you just better be careful when you do. You better be really careful when you do, because men might not think anything about it. Men might might not care, but God does. And every vow that we make always stands before God. The only one that can be broken is in the Old Testament. If a, if a man's daughter makes a rash vow, the man, the father has a right to to nullify it. Uh, there's nothing else like that anywhere uh, when she's under his control in his household. So the truth here is that if you decide to make a vow to God, you must fulfill it. There is no place for a false vow to God uh, that you will do something. In other words, you don't just tell God you're going to do something, you don't mean it. Going back to the last section, marriage vows should not be broken. Be very sure before you make the vow. Verse 34. Jesus says literally, do not swear completely. So I'm looking at that phrase, swear completely. What does that mean? And the first word in that pair is, is the Greek word omnon. Omnu, I'm sorry, omnuo. <laughs> trying to put an epsilon in there, and there isn't one. Uh, I don't expect you to remember that, but I want you to know it's, a, it's that word, and it's different than others. 
It carries the idea of affirming to the, of the truthfulness of one's statement by invoking a deity. So he's specifically talking about a, a vow where you're invoking a deity. So some pagan might say, I swear to you in the name of Molech, I swear to you in the name of Baal. Or a Jewish person might say, I swear to you in the name of Yahweh. A Christian would say, I swear by Jesus. All right, he, Jesus says don't do that. Um, frequently, it is with an implied invitation for punishment if I don't keep my vow. And people say that. I swear to you, may God do this to me or that to me if I don't keep my word. And then I've seen people break their word when they say that. Like, God doesn't care. I can do whatever I want. Well, God does care. He just hasn't taken care of it yet. He will. The second word is the word halos. And it is a marker of high degree on a scale of intent. It means to do something completely or wholly. And that's why it literally says, do not swear completely. Don't give your word and invoke a deity uh, because that's the wrong road to go down. Uh, the two together seem to mean that making an oath and invoking a high entity is wrong. We shouldn't do it. That's why we're going to find religious leaders who uh, don't, don't swear by God. They know better and they say, you know what? I may have to break my word here, so I'm going to swear by the temple. I'm going to swear by the gold of the temple. Jesus has something to say about that. People every day swear on the Bible, and yet they lie. Now, not in every court anymore do people take an oath with their hand on the Bible. Some people refuse. They don't do that. But there are people that put their hand on the Bible and say, so help me God, and then they lie. Well, God's not going to help you about that. The religious leaders purposely swore by anything but God, so if they broke it, they'd be able to escape the penalty of God. So uh, they did it to get out of their vows just in case they wanted to. If you swear by heaven, God, Jesus said, that is where God's throne is. It is inseparable from God. And then verse 35, if you were to swear by the earth, that too belongs to God. You are bound then by that which you have no control over and no right to use. I'm talking about the earth, the creation. Uh, some, some swore by Jerusalem. Jesus points out that, by the way, that is the city of the great king. See, they're trying to get around bringing God's name into it, and by what they're doing, God's name has been brought into it. I have heard people swear on their mother's grave. I don't even know what that means. <laughs> what if you didn't like your mother? What if you really did like her? What's that mean? I swear by my mother's grave. I said, I, what, what is that? It's nothing. Stop doing that to your mom. All right? Unless she's going to get out of there and paddle you good. I don't know. I don't know what that means. Anyway, in verse 36, swearing by our head is also another area we have no control over. Now, Jesus does not anticipate that you're thinking, oh, yeah, I can color my hair any color I want. That's not what he's saying. So you swear by your head, you really can't by thinking. Trust me, I've tried it. It doesn't work just for this, this sermon. I couldn't turn, any, turn anything gray up here dark. It's still, it's still gray. It's been gray since I was 48. I got my first discount at a, at a restaurant when I was 48. And I thought, you know, young lady, if you're not even willing to ask me, I'm taking the discount. <laughs> and then the uh, other pastors I was with uh, thought that was a hoot, and they're all laughing. He got the old people's uh, thing, whatever, the discount. Now I take the old people's discount, and I'm proud of it. You know, thank you for giving me that discount. Some of you young people don't know the joy of that. It's a joy. You just have to wait. All right. Unless they don't ask you, I think that's on them. Anyway, I could be wrong. Swearing by our head, that's another area we have no control over. 
You can think all you want, your hair's gonna stay the same trouble. Uh, you can think a lot and be nervous and uh, full of anxiety and it might start falling out. That's not what Jesus is talking about. So the point is what good is an oath when it's tied to things we don't even have control over? I swear to you on my mother's grave, what control do you have over your mom in her grave? I swear to you by the gold of the temple. That's God's temple. You're really swearing by God, and God said not to do that. So we, we don't do that. Is the earth going to punish me personally if I swore by the earth and don't keep my vow? Well, no. The issue for Jesus is, look, why do you even do that? How'd you get yourself in a position where you have to start bringing in other people's names or, or God or bringing up the gold of the temple? How'd you get to the point where nobody's going to believe you unless you swear by, by the temple of God? Well, there's only one answer to that. People are used to you not keeping your word. People are used to you saying things, you don't do it. So now you've got to invoke something so that they understand you really mean it this time. And sometimes we don't. Jesus said, let's not do that anymore. It is only a way to uh, try to bolster our reliability uh, when we give our word. Uh, Jesus said, you shouldn't have to do that. I never heard Jesus swear by anything. He just said, this is what I'm going to do, and he did it. Or he'd say, this is what I'm not going to do, and he didn't do it. So Jesus recommended that when we say yes, we mean yes. And people around us know, you know what? That's all he has to say. When I was growing up, I'd go out and uh, spend some time with my grandpa and McDonald on the farm. And I loved that because he had lots of, he had 17 Shetland ponies, one for every grandchild. So we'd get together and ride and have fun and get in trouble for picking up a stick and whipping the horse when we weren't supposed to. Uh, but we couldn't figure out how to get him to go faster. Uh, but, but after Grandpa got done with you, you, you just get off and pull him around. Um, it, it, was, it was fun, though, to be out there. And I remember hearing uh, my Grandpa make a deal with another neighbor, and I didn't know who that person was. But he sold him some hay, and they shook on it. And that was the end of the transaction. It was a done deal. It was good. And I, I did think at times, well, how do you know he's going to keep his word? because he gave it and he, and he shook on that agreement and they kept their word I think that's more what Jesus is talking about in James chapter 5 and verse 12 it says but above all my brethren do not swear he means an oath he doesn't mean cussing the, the, the Bible has other things to say about uh, bad mouths and cussing but do not swear either by heaven or earth or with any other oath but your yes is to be yes, and your no, no, so that you may not fall under judgment by not keeping your word. Sometimes you can't answer right away. Sometimes you need to think, what might this cost me by giving you my word? Am I willing to take that risk? Am I willing to say I'm going to do something regardless of what you do, the other person? If I give my word, am I going to keep it? And if I am, it's okay if I say yes. And if I'm not, then I, I better say no right then and there. Uh, Dr. Blomberg said this, rather Jesus' followers should be people whose words are so characterized by integrity that others need no formal assurance of their truthfulness in order to trust them. I don't have to bring something else in to try to make you trust me. 
Jesus says that adding things to a vow by or under is of Satan, is of the evil one. Uh, my, my new American took out that uh, definite article there, but it's in the Greek text. So we need to ask ourselves a question. Do you or I need to rebuild our reputation in the area of giving our word? Do you need to make a commitment to say that you, what you mean and do what you say, even if it costs you? People have backed out of vows because they found out, oh, I gave my word to that, but I didn't realize uh, I was going to have to pay something for it or that this thing could go south and I gave my word and, and you still want my money. But it says, uh, the Psalm of David in Psalm 15:4, he's talking about who is the person that may abide in the tent of the Lord? Who is the person who might be in the tabernacle with God? So who is the person that should be in the church with God, let's say? Who may abide in your tent? Who may dwell on your holy hill? Excuse me, hill. He who walks in integrity and works righteousness and speaks truth in his heart. He does not slander with his tongue, nor does he do, he, does he do evil to his neighbor, nor take up a reproach against his friend, in whose eyes a reprobate person is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord. Here's one other thing that this righteous person does. He swears to his own hurt. He swears to his own hurt. He takes an oath, even if it costs him, if it's going to hurt him some way, and he does not change it. He does it. More than once in my life, I've made a deal with somebody to do something, found out there was something wrong with what the person said I was getting or something like that. I, I still paid for it. I still kept my word. And uh, I think that's what he's talking about. He should do that. Now, I don't get to be the hero in every one of my illustrations. I hope you know that. Sometimes I'm, I'm the goat, but today I get to be the hero. Uh, I've taken that to heart since I was young. It is damaging to tell people just what they want to hear to make them happy with you when you have no intention in your heart of doing what you say to them. Do you make appointments and keep them? There's lots of places where they will call you, they will text you, they will have you reply. I even know of a restaurant that does that. Do you remember us? Do you remember you said you're coming? Are you coming? Would you tell us you're coming? <laughs> and would you come? There must be a problem out there with people saying they'll be there and they're not. Do you make appointments and keep them? Do you complete your tasks as you said you would? As Christians, keeping our word and being truthful about it, it's a matter of integrity before our Jesus. And that's what Jesus wants us to know. Jesus comes to a society that is bent on sin, and even Christians, we're not perfect, are we? We don't, we don't trust Christ as Savior and lose all of our sin. No, we're still sinners. We sin. We need forgiveness from God. But he says, if you love me, if you want to be in my, my, on my holy hill, this is how you act. This is what you do. We don't act that way to get into heaven. That's by faith. But as a child of God, how do we live? How do we represent God? So if my yes is yes, my no is no, I'm right where I need to be. I'll give you these uh, applications, almost said illustrations, applications uh, from what we've learned. Number one, the Bible teaches do not betray your spouse. Get help before it is too late. Get help before you get married. Secondly, take care of each other's hearts 
by staying emotionally connected to each other's hearts. And if you can't do that, that's what our counseling program is all about. We can show you how to do that. Thirdly, swearing by something is a poor, let me start over, swearing by something is a poor substitute for personal integrity. And the last thing we've learned is let your yes mean yes, let your no mean no, and realize that beyond anything uh, of that is of the evil one. And we are not of the evil one, are we? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for this morning and thank you for your word. Uh, it's not like I'm not aware of all the folks that have been divorced around me. Um, I love them and I'm thankful for them. I know they each have their reasons before you. I just want to thank you that you're a God that forgives. You are also a God that gives second chances. And we're all sinners. We all have problems. Not maybe in the same areas, but we have problems. So we want to thank you for your grace. The other thing we want to say, Lord, is we understand your feelings on these things. And wherever we're at right now, we want to do what's right. And we want to follow you and be your children. And we want to uh, stay away from those things that you don't like. And so I pray that you would help us to be men and women of our word. And I pray it in Jesus' precious name for me and for all my brothers and sisters here today. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.